protests in China spreading worldwide, the gatherings are displays of solidarity with the rare glimpses of discontent in China directed at the communist regime. Beijing clamping down on the wave of unrest, police forces rolling in after the nationwide demonstrations rocked the country. Stock up on medication, water and food with a 14-day supply for each household member. Those are the instructions for Americans living in China, straight from the U.S. Embassy. Britain's Prime Minister announcing the end of the golden era between the U.K. and China. That's as the U.K. is ousting China from a nuclear power project. And Dr. Anthony Fauci taking aim at Beijing. According to him, China failed to cooperate with an investigation into COVID-19's origin. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Ongoing protests against China's strict zero COVID-19 policy and restrictions on freedoms are spreading. So far, they've popped up in at least a dozen cities around the world. It's a show of solidarity with the rare displays of defiance in China over the weekend. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has a story. These white sheets of paper have become a symbol of protest in China, and it is spreading. Dozens of protesters gathered in Hong Kong on Monday to show solidarity. In a city that is no stranger to anti-government protests, people brought flowers and candles. I'm here because I don't quite agree with mainland China's policies on COVID. Small-scale vigils and protests have popped up in a number of cities around the world. They follow the deadly apartment fire in the Xinjiang region, which triggered an extraordinary series of protest scenes across China over the weekend. In Sydney, about 200 people gathered outside town hall to show support for protesters. In the United States, protesters gathered outside a U.S. State Department in Washington. A vigil and protest were also held at the University of California in Berkeley. And dozens of protesters gathered outside Columbia University in New York City. Um, the fact that Chinese um, and the young people in China have, have finally sent, stood up to, uh, to, the corrupt, uh, to, to the corrupt and coercive government. For decades, we have been silenced. We have not been able to voice our, um, we have not been able to voice our dissent. But, but this weekend. What happened this weekend, what happened over the last week, has once again, like, it, it inspired me. During the speech, one of the protesters was beaten by a Chinese mainlander. Similar protest scenes unfolded in London, Tokyo, Paris, Toronto, and at least five other cities in Canada. Given the widespread display of frustration uh, with the uh, zero COVID policy, is China considering ending it soon, and if so, when? A spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry said that Beijing was not aware of any protests abroad calling for an end to its zero-COVID policy. And when repeatedly asked about the protests at home, after 40 seconds of paper shuffling, he replied the question did not, quote, reflect what actually happened. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. An attack in Hong Kong. A 66-year-old woman was injured while demonstrating in solidarity with China's protest. The violence occurred when she heard chanting, quote, no to authoritarianism.
footage shows a man snatched her yellow umbrella and threw it on the ground. She stumbled backwards and fell, hitting her head on a ledge. Bystanders swarmed and chased the man off. Paramedics loaded her into an ambulance. Reports say police have arrested the attacker. The suspect could also face a charge, what's called criminal damage. Alexandra Wong is a veteran activist in Hong Kong, better known by the name Grandma Wong. During the city's 2019 pro-democracy protest, Wong was often spotted sitting by signs appealing for freedom and holding a Union Jack flag that, despite being jailed multiple times under Beijing's crackdown. Worth noting, the umbrella she was holding is a symbol of Hong Kong's resistance movement. Demonstrations became rare in Hong Kong after Beijing imposed a national security law on the city. It came into force in 2020. The calm before the storm, or an uprising that's been nipped in the bud? Chinese ruling regime is taking action, following rare protests across China. NTD's Julia Song has more on that. The protests that swept China over the weekend have largely calmed down. Now, China's top security body is calling for a crackdown on, quote, sabotage activities by hostile forces. The body is called the Central Political and Legal Affairs Commission. It oversees all of China's law enforcement. Now, police are rolling into big cities where protests broke out. Their cars lining up the streets in places like Beijing, Shanghai and Shenzhen. In capital Beijing, police are asking protesters to report to the police station. Over in Shanghai, officers are checking people's phones for protest-related footage. This comes after a wave of demonstrations broke out in major cities across China. Hotspots included Beijing, Shanghai, Wuhan and southwestern Chengdu. People also demanded freedom. Students from over 50 Chinese colleges joined in. Some protesters were arrested. And counteractions from authorities are kicking in. Some schools have sent students home, saying exams would be held online. On top of the heavy police presence, authorities have put up barriers to prevent people from gathering. Mass testing for COVID-19 has resumed. Though in Shanghai, authorities have lifted tight health measures on over 20 districts. The protests are making headlines in the West, but it remains censored in China. I heard about it, but I don't know much about the specifics. It remains to be seen how the protests could develop. Juliet Song, NTD News. Last week, a tragic fire in Xinjiang saw fire trucks and emergency services blocked from getting to the scene. Anti-COVID-19 barricades in the area halted the vehicles out of range of the blaze. On Monday, it seems to have happened again, this time in southwestern China's Sichuan province. Video shows a fire breaking out inside a neighborhood there. At least two fire trucks were blocked by a nearby fence and could not reach the site. It's unclear if there were any casualties. No Chinese media reports have covered the incident. All posts on Chinese social media related to it have also been censored. What's happening with Beijing's zero COVID-19 policy? The answer remains unclear, with impromptu restrictions and lockdowns still being enforced across China. To cope, locals are preparing for possible stay-at-home orders, even at U.S. embassies in China. 
Based on a Monday statement, those embassies are asking U.S. citizens living in China to stock up on supplies. Here's more. They advise keeping a 14-day supply of medications, bottled water, and food for each household member. That's in response to Chinese authorities expanding COVID-19 restrictions and control measures. China is reporting a surging number of cases of the CCP virus. Some Chinese netizens replied to the embassy's Twitter post pleading for assistance. One user asked every civilized and democratic nation to help Chinese citizens. In light of the protest happening in China, the White House says its position on peaceful protest has not changed. John Kirby of the National Security Council said Monday that the White House supports the right to peacefully assemble. Whether it's uh, people protesting in Iran or China or anywhere else around the world, um, that nothing's changed about the, the president's firm belief in the power of democracy and democratic institutions and how important that is. Kirby said the White House does not have extra information about the protest, other than what's found on social media and from traditional media. Now, leaders in the Western world are voicing their support for the Chinese people. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken voiced support Tuesday for peaceful Chinese protesters. Blinken said, we support the right of people everywhere to peacefully protest to make known their views, their concerns, and their frustrations. Blinken's comments come after discontent with the Chinese regime's strict lockdowns ignited anti-government protests across China over the weekend. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is also voicing support. He sent a message to the Chinese people Monday. In it, he recalled meeting with Chinese dissidents during his time as Secretary of State. For me, those conversations were reminders. Reminders that Americans must always stand with freedom-loving people everywhere around the world. They need us. Pompeo told Fox the Chinese Communist Party does not represent the Chinese people, who just want a little more freedom. He said he's worried CCP leader Xi Jinping will use force and brutality to quell the uprisings. Meanwhile, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak Monday said Britain's approach to China needs to evolve. Now let's be clear, the so-called golden era is over, along with the naive idea that trade would automatically lead to social and political reform. Sunak said Beijing is consciously competing for global influence using all the levers of state power. We recognize China poses a systemic challenge to our values and interests a challenge that grows more acute as it moves towards even greater authoritarianism. Sunak's referring to Beijing's suppression of Chinese protests and the arrest and beating of a BBC journalist. The European Broadcasting Union Monday said it strongly condemns aggression towards its member journalists in China. The statement comes after a China correspondent for Swiss broadcaster RTS was briefly detained while reporting live from a protest in Shanghai. BBC journalist Edward Lawrence was also arrested by police in Shanghai Sunday night. The EBU said other journalists were threatened and some were prevented from going on air or filming. It said that's unacceptable and marks a new low. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says the so-called golden era between the UK and China is over. Britain announced Tuesday it would kick a Chinese state-owned company from a major construction project, a British nuclear power station. The company, China General Nuclear, owned a 20% stake in the Sizewell Sea Power Station. The British government has since bought all Chinese-owned shares. 
Authorities didn't disclose the sum of the deal. Back to the U.S., Dr. Anthony Fauci is calling out Beijing. He says the Chinese regime failed to cooperate with the probe into the origins of COVID-19. Fauci told CBS Face the Nation Sunday that he hadn't seen any related data from Beijing after the U.S. asked for information. The health official accusing the Chinese Communist Party of being secretive and raising global suspicions that China may have covered up the origins of the pandemic. Even when there's nothing at all to hide, they act secretive, which absolutely triggers an appropriate suspicion of like, what the heck is going on over there? Fauci said Beijing gave Washington an explanation as to why it won't allow officials to look at the data on the initial outbreak. But he added that the World Health Organization had gotten what he called some actually quite helpful data during its visits. Fauci explained the U.S. needs more transparency from Beijing, but said the Biden administration will keep a completely open mind as to what the origin is. Republican lawmakers have said they would investigate the origins of the pandemic if they won a majority in the House. Now that they have, GOP officials say they'll summon Fauci to testify. Fauci told CBS he was fine with testifying and very much in favor of legitimate oversight, though he accused Republicans of politicizing the issue. Congressman James Comer spoke to the Epic Times about the situation back in October. He said GOP lawmakers had uncovered growing evidence that the virus likely originated from the Wuhan Institute for Virology in China, and that the Communist Party of China covered it up. Fauci is resigning as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in December. He's also stepping down as the NIAID Laboratory of Immunoregulation head and chief medical advisor to President Biden. South Korea's president is warning of an unprecedented joint response with its allies. That's if North Korea goes ahead with a nuclear test. He also urged China to help dissuade the North from pursuing nuclear weapons development. Let's zoom in. South Korea's leader had a stark warning for the North on Monday. In a wide-ranging interview with Reuters, President Yoon Suk-yeol said that if Pyongyang went ahead with a nuclear test, there would be an unprecedented response from Seoul and its allies. But he gave no specifics. What I can tell you is that our response would include something that has not been seen in the past. It would be extremely unwise for North Korea to conduct a seventh nuclear test. Yoon's comments come as officials from his country and the U.S. warned that North Korea may be preparing to resume testing nuclear weapons for the first time since 2017. He also urged China, as North Korea's closest ally, to do more to influence Pyongyang. And noted how countries in the region, including Japan, have been pushed to increase their defense spending. More U.S. warplanes and ships have also been deployed. I believe that China has enough capability to affect North Korea's decision, not only in military aspects but also economically. However, it is up to China's decision to what extent it will influence North Korea and how much it's going to contribute to the peace and stability of the Korean Peninsula. 2022 has been a record year for North Korea's missile tests including the launch of an intercontinental ballistic missile this month, which Tokyo said landed 130 miles off the coast of Japan. Such tests have overshadowed multiple gatherings of international leaders. Undeterred by the backlash received, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un said this week his country intends to have the world's most powerful nuclear force. The U.S. Navy is disputing a claim from the Chinese military. 
Beijing said Tuesday it drove away a U.S.-guided missile cruiser, a craft it said illegally intruded into waters near the South China Sea, Spratly Islands. According to a spokesman for the Chinese military's Southern Theater Command, China believes, quote, the actions of the U.S. military seriously violated China's sovereignty and security. A U.S. Navy statement called the Chinese side's description false, adding that it's the latest in a long string of PRC actions to misrepresent lawful U.S. maritime operations. The ship in question is called the USS Chancellorsville Guided Missile Cruiser. It recently sailed through the Taiwan Strait. China claims nearly all of the South China Sea as its own territory, something the U.S. rejects. France and India are boosting their military ties. France's defense minister and his Indian counterpart met on Monday in New Delhi. The two shook hands for 11 seconds. During their talks, they discussed ways to strengthen defense and security ties between their countries. Defense products made in India topped the agenda. This is the fourth India-France annual defense dialogue. Both countries are increasingly engaged in maritime security in the Indo-Pacific region, amid concerns over Beijing's growing aggression. Coming up, TikTok accused of misleading Congress that's over-protecting U.S. user data from falling into Beijing's hands. Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, says it's time for the U.S. to get real about the national security risk. If I could change anything, it would be changing those laws and restricting these companies from being able to buy off these politicians like this, especially companies from China and Russia. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. What kind of threat do China and TikTok pose to the United States? And how can the U.S. counter it going forward? We spoke to Rex Lee, cybersecurity advisor at MySmart Privacy, about his take on addressing the national security risk and more. So recently, members of Congress are saying that TikTok misled Congress. So to begin, what exactly is the threat here? You really have to stop and think about the existential threat to um, uh, Western countries that have embraced democracy from um, app developers from adversarial countries like China. Stop and think about this for one minute. We're allowing Chinese companies like ByteDance and Tencent, who are beholden to the CCP, um, to surveil and data mine U.S. citizens by way of their telephones and computers we call a smartphone. They can even surveil and data mine children, um, and or uh, teens or business users who are using the device where these intrusive apps are hosted, right? Well, think about it in this respect. Why is that an exist existential threat to us? Uh, and why is it a national security threat? Well, imagine before World War II, if we allowed Deutsche Telekom, which is T-Mobile out of Germany, to surveil every U.S. citizen by way of their telephone at the time, and then monetize the content of all of those conversations to make billions of dollars to sell to advertisers and while using the information themselves to monetize. But think about where that money would have went. It would have went to fund the war effort that uh, you know the Nazi government uh, was unleashing upon the entire world at the time. Not only that, think about the intel that the Nazi government would have gotten from all of the content of those phone calls. It would have changed 
the entire face of the war. Because you're basically allowing people to surveil people by telecommunications and computers. Um, and um, so if you stop and think about that, you've got to ask yourself this question, with tensions rising between us and China and Russia, why are we allowing Russian companies and Chinese companies to surveil and data mine U.S. citizens by way of their telephones and their computers we call smartphones and or PCs or any other connected device at the, that may be hosting TikTok or WeChat or any of these other intrusive Chinese or Russian apps like Russia's Prisma, Prisma Editor and so forth. Um, that's exactly what we're looking at today and we have to ask ourselves this question and this is why these companies not only pose massive privacy cybersecurity civil liberty and safety threats to end users but they're posing a national security threat to our country at the same time and rex you mentioned briefly just now about the say child protection and privacy law so how are you know these being avoided like how are the apps not following these laws well, it's, it's not that the apps aren't following the laws. It's, it's the fact that the FTC uh, state AGs uh, who um, are in uh, charge of uh, state consumer protection programs, uh, they're simply not enforcing existing consumer child protection and privacy laws that are on the books today. So why isn't the FTC or state AGs enforcing this? Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a quote by Eric Schmidt, the former chairman and CEO of Alphabet. Eric Schmidt, during the Atlantic Magazine uh, conference, stated this in one of the interviews. Um, he stated that Washington, D.C. is a town of incumbent politicians where the lobbyists write the laws. So, and I think we talked a little bit about this, but you really have to think about the weight of what Eric Schmidt is talking about here. You know, he's basically stating that Whenever any law, whether it's the Affordable Health Care Act or any privacy law or any law is written, it's not being written by the um, politician or the elected official that we, the public, elected our representatives who are supposed to be representing us. We elect them, but then they don't represent us anymore. They're representing law streets on um, on K Street in uh, Washington, D.C., where all the lobbyists work. And then basically what he's stating there is that those lobbyists are the ones who are writing the laws. How would we find a solution going forward? There's two things going on here. The lobbyists are buying off our politicians legally. It used to happen behind a McDonald's at 2 o'clock in the morning with a satchel of cash being handed to a politician, being bought off that way. Well, they've changed that. They made it legal to buy off a politician through lobbying today. So we have to recognize that that is a huge problem, and that's where the problem needs to be fixed. The other problem with this is the fact that these politicians get inside information uh, through these lobbyists, and they're able legal, they're they're legally able to trade stocks and make money on the stock market with the uh, inside information that they're gathering on these. Um, uh, companies through their lobbyists who are feeding them basically inside information that if you pass this law, our stock's going to shoot off the chart and you're going to retire great. So I would I would uh, take your 401k and start investing in our stock and you're going to be rich when you retire. We always wonder how these politicians get, we always wonder how they get rich. They come into D.C., 
fairly poor or not rich at all. And then they leave not only wealthy themselves, but they have generational wealth. And now we're starting to see that. And it starts through uh, lobbying. That's where that's what needs to be changed today. That would if I could change anything, it would be changing those laws and restricting these companies from being able to buy off these politicians like this, especially companies from China and Russia. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week.